0: Welcome back to the IA podcast. Hugo here. Today I'm talking to Wu Li, Master's Student in Architecture and Urbanism at MIT. Uh, Wu studied in Guangzhou, then Copenhagen, before ending up in the States. And today we talk about cultural differences, the act of having to market oneself for university applications, multidisciplinary education environments, and the topic of his coming thesis, happiness. Enjoy
1: are you mr hugo
0: (laughs) oh my god it's been a while crocodile
1: i know i'm very well where are you i'm in cambridge
0: in cambridge uh outside boston yes yeah how come your um your semester hasn't started yet is it
1: but i couldn't leave
0: oh my god you've been stuck the whole summer
1: yeah the whole time i mean most of my friends who went back to their countries now have problems like re-entering. So it just, I don't know. It's probably you safer. didn't.
0: You didn't want to risk it.
1: Yeah, I don't. It's like twelve hours time difference to take a class. No.
0: Oh fuck yeah! So you wouldn't have even really had the option of like doing studies remotely.
1: Yeah, I mean you could, but it just it's torturing. I I no.
0: So you're enjoying life in Cambridge? I, it can't be that bad if you've decided to stay all this time.
1: It's yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, in summer it's nicer, and I also get to like travel around the states a little bit, mm. a little bit of road trip. So it's <laughs> the bonus.
0: And are you living in student dorms or with friends or what's the situation?
1: I was, but now. Um, I move in with two of my classmates we were living in the same dorm and there's some mm-hmm. problems communicating and stuff with the dorm during when like pandemic first hit america and then we decided we're gonna take the spring break and find a house together that kind of thing
0: are you gonna so you'll live with these guys for another one two
1: years for another one year yeah until we graduate at least i don't know what's going to happen after that
0: when do you graduate
1: i graduate may 2021 i will
0: may 2021 okay same time as me but i took two years off so i think you've been studying for this is this will be your third year in the states
1: no this is my second year
0: okay so it's only a two-year master's yeah fantastic So I want to get into it, right? I want to talk about, you know, how your year's been, what life is like in America. Um, But I guess maybe we should start off just introducing you. Uh, I wish people could see what I'm seeing right now because that's (laughs) a pretty good description in in itself. Uh, For those listening, Wu is uh, in front of a psychedelic, uh, colorful uh, Zoom fill-in background, but wearing a red Hawaiian shirt and matching with a uh crew cut red hairdo (laughs) so so dude how did you end up in america last time we saw each other was in copenhagen we worked together for i guess a couple months on a really random project but um then you you had to leave
1: (laughs) yeah i have to leave i just yeah it just remind me of the ghana project (laughs) yeah i know Akasombo, man yeah it's, it's nuts But yeah, I have to leave the country and then I went back to Shanghai. I worked there for a year and a half. Half the time I was working in architecture, interior design firm. Half the time I worked with my friend, writing some fashion shit. And after that, um, I came to America for grad school.
0: You make it sound so easy. So you did your undergrad where?
1: I did my undergrad ugh, two years in China, in Guangzhou, my hometown, and three years in Torino, Italy. So it's like five years in two countries.
0: And then you ended up in Denmark at KDK? Yeah,
1: yeah I ended up there in 2016. And yeah, I was doing my master's degree at KTK before I Mm -hmm. met you. Yeah. When the, yeah. And then things start to fumble around a lot of it. And then I decided to leave Denmark. Then I, yeah, I first moved back to Shanghai. Then I just started like as an intern. At another architecture design firm which I admire there for a long time mm. and yeah and then da, 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 fast forward fast forward I apply then I'm like my parents do want me to finish master's degree it's not in Denmark so I would yeah I applied to the states
0: so why why America I would imagine it's kind of tricky first of all to apply there's you know so much competition but then there's a whole protocol for visas and exams and uh, references and all all sorts of documentation i think why not why not stick around in europe or stay back home in china
1: um well first of all i think i wasn't very satisfying i don't know like i feel like there's there's this one of me that's kind of just wanna see what American education has to offer because I actually did an exchange semester in Seattle when I was in KDK, and yeah. I just I was fascinated by like the pedagogies and like the curriculums here. I just feel like there's something more that I could learn that I cannot in Europe like there's some part of the history in the world that was like kind of minor or like inhibited in like what I have learned in Italy and Denmark so I'm like I want to take a chance I want to just like do something else that I haven't done yeah
0: and so talk me through Yes, you make it sound so easy. It's hilarious. But uh, if you if you can even remember, talk me through your your thought process when you're, you're you're telling yourself, you know, you're going to apply to the states, um, for all the reasons you just mentioned, mentioned, and then you know, there's, there's a huge amount of schools to select to choose from. So how do you go about that? Picking schools, picking parts of the states?
1: Mm, Yeah, I think I, at the moment, I, I wasn't thinking that much because uh, my ex-partner is American. So like, I kind of learned something about American education and culture in academia a little bit. So I kind of like, I probably want to just do East Coast at a time because I have traveled to Los Angeles and San Francisco. And I just, I, I, I couldn't imagine living there like, no way I can drive a car and like parallel parking every day. Like, no, fucking no. So, I'm like, I have to go to big city and well, East Coast. I don't mm-hmm. know. I kind of just limit my decision in like New England. So, I applied to like, yo, because my favorite Taylor Isling is staging there. And I'm like, I definitely wanna be her student. I wanna learn from her. I want her to be on my advisor yeah. and apply to Princeton for no fucking reason because it's just like it's it's a pain in the ass to go through like <laughs> sending your like portfolio or whatever through UPS. Yeah. And then yeah. MIT because I've always wanna to go to MIT, like I know a lot about it because some of my friends went there and they're like you can basically build whatever you want to learn for yourself. At MIT because it's very flexible. They don't have like a lot of studio time. Whatever was whatever. So I'm like MIT definitely on my list, and of course I also did like Harvard and Columbia, and then that's it. The full shebang. The, yeah the. Sh- sh- the shenanigans, the buffoonery, the help Yeah, I did that, but...
0: What would you what would you have done if you didn't get a place at any of those choices?
1: Oh, my God. Um, what would I do? I don't know. I would probably just kind of keep exploring things around in Shanghai because I definitely have some of my best friends there, and... I kind of want to do something that's not architecture. So if I have stayed, I would probably like become something, um, like, I don't know, in creative writing or some kind of thing, like something that's still in the creative industry, but not like mm. architecture, because I feel like I'm definitely a little bit drowned by doing interns at like
0: yeah. yeah.
1: So that's probably what I would do Maybe I will fly it again if I didn't get anything. Or maybe I went back to KTK and finished like
0: last year. <laughs> Do you think and they I, would have taken you?
1: They should have.
0: They should have.
1: They should have kept my place.
0: You make it all uh, sound very um, smooth sailing. And I guess your character is kind of a, you know, take it or leave it, easygoing one. Um, but how Ooh. how did this, like you know, for the sake of other people that might be in the same process or just giving an insight, honestly, how much did the application process just in terms of, you know, having, having to be really disciplined about presumably formatting Mm. old work, having to be really excited when you talk about and write about projects and basically trying to market yourself, um, to the best of your ability, because that must, that forces you to be quite introspective, right. And take yourself quite seriously.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, I actually, in between two of my jobs, I took two months off and I stayed at my parents. And I started to look at all my, the material I have and compared to the ones they need. And obviously I need some work on my portfolio, reframing projects, kind of like rethinking the designs and like the visualization that took most of my time then i have to ask for like at least three references but also because i took so many gap years so i ha- kind of have like put different strains i asked for my professor at kdk for one as like my professor at university of washington's and also i asked my employers. it's kind of like just that takes some time of like, you know, formulating your email voice and like writing this kind of half standard, half like kind of hard giving emails to people. And then you have to like, for, I think for most of the school, I feel like you need to write something like letter of interest, to state like why your research matters why you're unique especially like why you're unique in all like the Asian candidates we have like Mm. why you're Mm. the one not like just (laughs) one of like you know the multiply babies like you have to really I think you really have to do a lot of therapies and shit like that and like kind of just really think about like what about you that's like marketable that's like kind of like maybe it's not really your thing in your life but you have to make it sound like that's you like so you they could not like refuse you i think writing that letter um kind of have you most of the people i think don't really put their heart in it they're just like so this is my research interest because I did this of the things and this research. So I think that's why I'm the best, like high score, like candidate for this. But I think most of the schools don't operate like that. They really want to see like, so this is you and we have never mm. hear about the narrative, the story before. And we really want you and yeah.
0: So did you land on a, on a, on a summary version of who you are, what makes you so marketable?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. I write about my uh, stories in Denmark. Really? I do. I do. Uh, I think that's why it's so kind. I think nobody has ever done that in their vocation to write about them living in a European country or like whatever, like just outside of their native country like mostly I just wrote about the experience of that and I make it sound kind of funny, but also kind of serious, but also kind of critical.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I remember you being quite critical, right? I mean, you, you never just did as you were told. You always kind of had a, a questioning inquisitive kind of uh, response to, to, I guess people we worked for, but also people in school, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, did you enjoy Denmark? How would you, how do you reflect on it now?
1: I think I, I I would say I learned from it because I think I definitely fell like I think I fell into a pit when I have to leave Denmark because I'm not familiar with like immigration policies and that led me in a bad place and I think I enjoyed it because I knew my ex-partner there that's one of my first relationships. so I I feel like I unappreciative of my time there but I definitely encounter some sort of racism or like kind of like exclusiveness when I was in Denmark because I think as an Asian person navigating through a like predominantly white European country sometimes Mm. um, people think they're like progressive but sometimes I think there would be still kind of like frictions between me as someone foreign coming to a place where I'm not the majority yeah so if you like I definitely have to like have a lot of self growth and self love to be able to like accept as not just who I am but like where I am in this society in this school because you just sometimes I feel like when you talk to people over email it gets some kind of like condescending Hmm. Hmm. to you and things like that so I think I definitely learned from my experience in Denmark and like kind of just I have this kind of like I I think I wrote my letter in sort of like a semi-sachastic semi sarcastic semi self reflective and also a little bit of angry tone of like um, I don't enjoy Denmark, and this is why. I'm gonna tell you why I don't enjoy it, but like I learned from it. So that's what I have something special to offer to you.
0: That's that's hilarious. That that is the angle. I would say there's a lot of there's a lot of things that uh, you could talk about that give a unique perspective on who you are and you know make you interesting. But that wasn't the one I would have guessed. I mean, I, I think that's hilarious. It's probably very provocative to read that for someone who's only ever heard really good things about Scandinavia and Denmark. And, you know, it's almost overwhelming how positive the general, uh, image is mostly from people that haven't actually experienced it firsthand. Um, but I think, yeah, I can see that from your perspective, uh, giving a little bit of, um, you know, honest criticism and pro- proving how you learned from it made you obviously look you know, very, very mature. Yeah,
1: I, yeah. I think that experience has been kind of traumatized and kind of, I don't know if motivating is the right word to so like, maybe rethink where I kind of fucked up as a person and how I can learn from it, like, and reflect it in my work. And I think I've been thinking about this thing called happiness. I think you've heard about it in Denmark. There's like mm-hmm. a lot of mention, like happy this country, the war, da, 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 da. but like I just when I was there, I feel like I wasn't happy. I I wasn't happy. Like I was kind of happy, but like I feel like I could be happier. So I feel like that's just kind of like why do I came into like this master's degree thinking like oh I'm coming to like some kind of fairy tale situation where you went there, you're like, my experience is like, kind of different. And I don't know why, but maybe I know why, but I never tell myself that's why. Sure. And I kind of like learn from it. And I'm kind of like, maybe I want to do my thesis at MIT about that. So that's like, what I've been just thinking about, like happiness and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's funny, you should, you know, talk about it in those terms. about the expectation to feel a certain way and almost for the reality or from your own for your own experience not to match what you thought it would be Mm. they say happiness is i mean they say happiness is lots of things right but one quite good objective definition is it's um it's when reality matches expectation so if it it doesn't have to be about landing your dream job and getting it or um you know, dreaming up something and, and achieving it. But it's just about, you know, if you think you're going to wake up at 8am and then you do, or if you think you're going to have time to, you know, do the shopping, then meet up with some friends, then submit a paper and you can achieve those like really small deadlines. Just the, the act of um, realizing what you had imagined with foresight gives you a sense of purpose and achievement, right? It's almost like crossing things off a, off a list, mm. no matter how mundane, but, The reason i think it's kind of interesting you brought it up is because america has uh the the sex appeal and the brand value that makes you want to expect a lot and i i wonder um whether it can match that expectation so what is your reality
1: you mean right now right now um i am definitely glad where i land like at mit because I, I came in with the mindset like, if I get a degree from any of the school that I apply, um, not only would I like make my parents proud, you know, like the Asian parents always want to be proud of their kids and n- not only I would do that, but like I will probably land at a good job, potentially in China. So that's part of the reason that what I came but now I'm starting to realize that um, the ed- education that I'm kind of co-paying for MIT is really worth it because it's really different than what I had as like an undergrad or as like what I did at KDK. Because there's like it's like a bigger school. There's so many different subjects and like course groups. And they allow you kind of to choose choose any courses you want to take to like kind of build your own path. Like you can take a biology double degree and do architecture, and they're like that's totally feasible. We love that. And you can kind of also take any kind of art classes or like classes from Harvard, like the anthropology classes. It's just like I've never experienced such flexibility before, like during undergrad they basically pave like, this is the class you can take, right? This is the studio you have to take. And when I was at KDK, it was more like, this is the only topic that we're going to focus on, urbanism. And this is the only discipline group of people that you're going to interact with. But here, it just it's just, you get exposed, like, much bigger pools of thinking, like, firsthand. Like, you can, yeah. I don't know, like, I think the experience is just so, like, more diversifying and more, like, it's almost like a dream. I don't know. I really don't know how how to, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm really trying to sell this, but, like, I just feel like this flexibility to, like, forge your own career path, or, like, what kind of architect you want to be, like, tell us that that really just like really exciting and i think my parents are kind of happy because you can tell their friend like oh so my son now goes through this this, this."
0: so you sort of you sort of um achieve uh the goal on two fronts you know satisfy satisfy the tradition and uh, um not expectation but um hope of your parents for you to be successful and find what you love, but to also actually do that while finding something you, you like and are enjoying. I mean, the way you describe it uh, sounds incredible. It sounds like what a lot of um, theoretical architecture schools want to be, where you're like basically just a platform with a huge amount of inputs um, and a very, very you know multidisciplinary uh, student. These are things that I've heard about, I've read about. Um, And to some degree, I've experienced like you know sometimes multidisciplinary. uh, It's all relative. So if you like, if you get somebody who's just a little bit different to come in and talk to you, you feel like you've seen the other side. But you're describing it as this very very rich um, sort of platform. And obviously MIT has like a global presence. I've heard about it. I've heard about the research groups they have. Um, I think Neri Oxman, who is is she currently leading the the biophilic Research group.
1: I heard she's leaving. Like she's actually leaving MIT to do her practice. She was at MIT before, um, like at Media Lab. Sorry, that's what I mean.
0: Is that so, is that uh, a part of the school you guys get to be involved with much?
1: Mm, actually, not. Like I think Media Lab is also under the umbrella of like School of Architecture and Planning, MIT. Mm-hmm. Where we actually. We have like totally different streams of funding, and like basically, Media Lab is more leaning towards like a professional degree, not like an MR professional degree that in that kind of sense it's more like it's more like you you work on a project for two years and you get a degree, so it's like the SAP and Media Lab has sort of like affiliation but also kind of distant. Hmm. But I don't know if you have heard about like all the scandals at Media Lab or not.
0: I haven't. What's What's the summary on that?
1: It's just they took some amount of money from um, Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, Neri Oxman is also kind of have some kind of connection with him. Like funding transparency have definitely been a lot of t- a lot It's just been talked about a lot here I don't know if it's here at MIT or just like here in American um, Academy sorry Academy it just there's a lot of talk around Epstein and other kind of like private stores of funding for example like a lot of schools like Oh, we're definitely pro-climate um, adaptation, climate um, revolution, whatever. But then they receive money from like, fossil Fuel Company. Like, what, how does that counter, I don't know. The, I think a lot of schools have like demand for more transparent funding streams or like at least think disclose the least to the students or like the board or whatever at whatever capacity because the the former head of Media Lab was chopped because of this Epstein phase. And there's like a lot of Zoom meeting at MIT, especially at my school, just talking about where our new um, architecture building. There's a new building for the school. Like who is funding it? who's designing it. Like we need to take more responsibility and just like be more involved in all this kind of decision-making. Of course, not like, you know, really deciding where the money comes from, but like we need to know.
0: Mm, Sounds pretty responsible. I mean, we're talking about some of the richest institutions in America, right? Really, really old research or academic institutions that I think have... um, you know, uh, internal treasuries that are sort of, you know, richer than a lot of uh, large corporations. But um, no, I mean, if you go down that sort of rabbit hole, I think you can become pretty disillusioned. I saw uh, this Michael Moore documentary about um, World Earth Day and how it's actually funded by a bunch of um, deforestation and fracking companies and he just you know completely unravels yeah. unravels the whole kind of innocence of that event and uh shines a very kind of fil- a dirty light on it but anyway um are you enjoying american culture beyond all the typical kind of inequality politics you know
1: yeah okay yeah <laughs> yeah um that's very happy too but like i think i don't know like i still feel like car is so involved and I really hate it. Like even though sometimes you wanna party, wanna go somewhere, you have to be Uber. That That's like one thing that really throws me out. But besides that, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know where to start with. I mean, I definitely enjoyed the landscape or like the food or like the multi-ethnicity kind of like just restaurants and representation. That's like, I think, there's like more international feeling to me or whatever. And yeah, yeah. In general, I think, yeah, it's kind of just, I don't know.
0: Is, is the, is the, is the kind of national culture reflected like the very diverse national sort of uh, makeup of America? Is it reflected in your classes say, I mean, how, how diverse are those, uh, just in terms of people's backgrounds and interests and that kind of thing.
1: Hmm. I think you're hitting on something here. And I will plug in an advertisement later. But like, yeah, I think you're hitting something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Am I really? I can't
0: see it. <laughs> I, I can't see it.
1: There's definitely lack of BIPOC, like Black Indigenous people in particular in school. MIT or like this major institute, like academic institutions. Harvard is probably a little bit more diverse. Like you can see some colors on campus, but MIT is definitely more like light skin washed. And I mean, there's a lot of discussion around the table saying like we should do more research about our own enrollment and like we should improve more um, equity like a more equitable access to different like communities of color because they're like more disadvantaged of receiving a better education at first. I don't know. There's just a lot of discussion about like representation.
0: Sure. And I've, I've probably heard um, podcasts, like touch upon those kinds of subjects, but I, I do genuinely mean like just from a personal perspective, do you feel like you're studying alongside um, and this is this is not so much culture, ethnicity gender. It's more to do with um, uh, interest and architectural kind of perspective. Do you think you're surrounded by very like-minded people, very uh, people with very similar values, or a, a total mix?
1: It's definitely a total mix because um, I definitely feel I like I found more people aligned with my value of like. What I think about architecture and urbanism as sense of yeah I think there's a lot of like-minded people thinking like there's more to this discipline than just building a building you should also consider this and this and this I feel like I find more like-minded people like that but also you can see there's a lot of like still a little bit traditional architecture school people that just like really focus on their models building until like 3-4 a.m and a lot of people are thinking only certain type of architecture can be counted as architecture too like I think there's just a different pool of people here at MIT. Some are like very rigid thinking if you're receiving architecture education you should have more drawing fabricating classes in your curriculum. And some definitely think, I think along my line, thinking like theoretical thinking and other kind of like human studies also needs to be central to our education. Otherwise you are just learning how to be a machine.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you, um? I mean, in, in... Aarhus, which by the way is where I've ended up studying. I'm going yeah. into my, my last year. Um, I thought it would amuse you because I remember I think I was just at the beginning of my journey in Denmark when we met, and we used to like just, you know, sit around our desks and like gossip essentially. <laughs> <laughs> that was maybe where this podcast has its roots, woo. Yeah. But um, no, I never thought I'd end up I'd stay in, in Denmark, but uh, that's the way things have gone.
1: How long have you been there?
0: In, uh, well, so I I stayed in Copenhagen for a year at Henning Larsen, then decided not to go back to the UK and instead do uh, another full year in Denmark, uh, in Copenhagen, at Mikkelsen, which is this small uh, sort of construction-based company, uh, up the road on Vistobor, and then I did six months at Gale Architects after that, uh, which was like a kind of you know schizophrenic swing the other way uh, yeah to, to I guess also just I knew the opportunities were not going to last forever so I wanted to make the best of those and then I um, I inadvertently applied to this studio uh, a teaching program in Aarhus called Emerging Sustainable Architecture and it wasn't the direction I was planning on going it's sort of full of terminology that's very you know diluted and Lacks a lot of substance at this point, but it's it's been a really interesting year because I've sort of opened up these topics a little bit, unravelled like what they mean, sustainability, socially speaking, politically speaking, and then obviously environmentally speaking. Um, But what we do is we focus on a a little bit like how you were describing your experience of KDK. We focus on a, a particular subject. And our project has to deal with that subject. Um, the difference maybe from USC in, in KDK here is that uh, every student can pick their scale and the, the complexity of their program. So it really could be you know, the size of a portaloo or the size of uh, um, you know, a campus building. Um, but this last year, what we've been looking at is the, sustain- the sustainability of the architectural profession and where architects stand with regard to a shifting sort of political and environmental landscape. Um, And that's been really interesting because it's, it's a sort of very introverted um, theoretical way of looking at who we are as students right now, what our projects mean in our own kind of trajectory. um, But also, you know, what kind of architects we want to be, which is sort of relating back to your point, whether some of us might be more traditional local um, in our kind of way of thinking about our career as, uh, you know, um, an Aarhus-based architect building extensions and um, contributing to public works, or others who are more um, sort of globally minded and want to get involved in sort of non- non-architectural non uh, global movements that might be to do with social equity, to do with diversity in certain um, urban spaces, things like that. Um, but so, yeah, questioning this role of the architect is is really tricky. And so I'm wondering whether... You know, you and all your mates graduate from MIT with a particular blend of um, sort of uh, perspective that maybe some other more traditional schools don't uh, have.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I definitely see there's like mm, different group of minds being around MIT, like somewhat more traditional practice focus and there's a lot of like ad, um, like advocacy voices thinking which should be more inclusive in terms of other disciplines and <clears throat> sorry and like as you said thinking more like environmentally thinking more racially, socially, culturally there's definitely different voices and I think even in my um, class, which is where 10 people from like different countries, Brazil, Belgium, Thailand, Japan, China, Taiwan. And it's just within this like pool of international students, there's just a lot of like different thinking of, I wanna do something more aligned with a traditional trajectory. I wanna build something more like financial profiles of like, maybe I wanna say, econ classes or whatever and some people definitely thinking more I don't know maybe like me taking more um critical thinking seminars or like theory stuff or something in different schools even in like I don't know different disciplines some were kind of like a blend of thinking just you know to like Digest as much of social context as possible. There'd be also, I think half the people, I would say, are taking something that is what's known to MIT, like computer science, database um, subjects, and something like that. I think it's definitely a lot of different minds overlapping because one of my best friends. Olivia from Brazil, she's definitely have a focus on more data-based urbanism, but also more social equity, providing more social equity. So it's like, I think you have a good mix of different mindsets that can produce something that I think more diverse, of course not in terms of like racially enough, but like in terms of like interest. We can see um, also like the school definitely support this kind of diverse interest by giving you different options of thesis advisor or like thesis format. So you have to really the freedom and like support from the academy to like just be you, be who you want to be. Word. Ah, ah, ah.
0: (laughs) so have you given some thought to your thesis um is that gonna be a year-long project or is that split into the uh, semesters
1: it's it's gonna be a year-long project i think now i think we think about like my time at usc looking at the thesis student i think it's a similar structure when in the second year of your master's degree you have you have to first do the writing to formulate your argument, and hmm. do the design the second semester, something like that. And I've been mean, just thinking a lot about the happiness thing, and I've been reading a lot about like I don't know if you know them or not. Like Sarah Ahmed, she's she's um I think she's based in London in one of the schools, and she thinks pretty coolly about like what is the promise of happiness. And should give a lot of like figurative thinking of like thinking through different kind of counter-narrative to happiness. For example, like the q dry female, the queer figures, and the black, also the experience of like black and indigenous, I think only black people in the book, thinking about like what is the promise of happiness that this group of people are not receiving, which is also kind of like relating to my personal experience in Denmark as like an Asian queer person. I'm just, I feel like there's a lot of thinking around like why do we, when we talk about happiness, we talk about something that's like maximization of happiness is like the absolute good and like why, and also just how do we formulate the measurement Mm. Of what we call the science of happiness. I think there's just a lot to think about in there in terms of urbanism, urban planning, or maybe even data collecting and representing. I don't know. I think it's just something I find really in the intersection of my personal interests and experience and something that I find interesting to articulate or maybe to think through and like represent.
0: Mm. That's it's, yeah, a big. A big uh, kettle of fish, as they say. It's a big subject. Um, and I guess a lot of it is just trying to read the literature and and pick a selection or uh, one angle of it that you especially are interested in. Um, I remember studying happiness in my last year of high school as part of a philosophy class. And mm-hmm. I can't remember a lot of what I learnt, but um, it definitely got me clued into this idea of, of, um, processing, uh, or sorry, process in order to achieve something. And the idea of the journey, the idea of the toil, the adventure, um, to seek something, uh, the act of desiring, and then the, the role yeah. of nature in making us feel a physical comfort that we might also consider happiness at times. Um, those, those, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a lot to, to deal with in your thesis. Are you going to, um remain at an urban scale do you think is that because this is where you came from in in kdk right
1: yeah yeah i think um i think i definitely want to approach it from two ends one is more urban more like cartography scale but also i want to just i've been taking some classes on sound in sound theory so i think um sound can be a good amend to what the cartography cannot capture because they're just lines, they're just colors, but like sound is a more like intermediate medium that we can hear someone's voices and hear the experiences or like just like hear different kinds of sounds and soundscape that's more like immersive. So I'm definitely thinking about like different mediums, like sounds.
0: That's fascinating because just when you say that, it makes me think of, I mean, the the sound we're both hearing right now, the role that that plays in allowing us to communicate. And uh, I mean, with Quarantine, the reliance upon this medium and on this format and what that does to everybody's happiness.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. I also think it's kind of just something that's interesting to explore. So I'm definitely thinking, I'm Mm. even thinking like scale of objects because when you think about happiness, you're like thinking about a scented candles in your like cozy apartment and like textiles over like you on the couch near a fireplace. So I'm definitely thinking a lot of like, I don't know, architectural scale or like maybe more interior, more human and more object.
0: Hmm.
1: I think it's kind of fun to play with scales like cross scales yeah,
0: yeah, definitely if you can um it there's I'm sure you've already got a bunch of literature to to look at, but I read this book last Christmas called um, "The Architecture of Happiness," which I was kind of embarrassed to hold in on public transport because it didn't actually look like a, <laughs> it didn't look like an architecture book. It looked more like a yeah. self-help. <laughs> but it's it's by uh, Alain de Botton, who's this English uh, philosopher slash sort of uh, um, professor, and he started this thing called the School of Life. Um, I won't try and summarize the book, but it deals with um, almost in the way that Sapiens deals with sort of the fundamental aspects of of civilization, uh, historically and currently. Um, This book, in a much more summarized way, looks at the fundamentals of perceiving our environment and why nostalgia, memory, um, texture and uh, color sound is presumably something that, uh, he brought up, um, why those have such an implicit impact on the way that we feel in a space. Um, and it kind of got me on this train, um, of, of thought surrounding memory and architecture and the importance of sort of legibility. Um, because I mean, I feel like we're, we're coming off the back of a generation that was trying to reinvent things and trying to, um, Trying to revolutionize what we called zeros and ones, you know? Um, So so that to some degree, a wall in in the high-tech period looks nothing like whatever anyone ever thought a wall looked like. You know, suddenly you can see through the wall. The wall can heat itself, and it can turn itself opaque when you thought it was transparent. Technology, I guess, helped transform the archetypes that we were used to. Um, And in some ways, I feel like our generation, or at least myself personally... Um, a sort of reaction to that in the way that um, companies like Doug and Morris in the UK and a bunch of other companies around the world, specifically Scandinavian ones, are really profiting off of this um, nostalgia in um, texture, simplicity, in the fundamentals of buildings such as light and materiality that basically, I mean, we moved on from technologically so long ago but we're now returning to. And the question is, is, are we returning to them because of the value that we gave up on and that value being, you know, memory and uh, the sort of elemental nature of them? They're sort of tangible in that the materials that look like where they came from or look like the way they've been transformed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah I think actually, I, I, kind of, I kind of remembered the book a little bit because I think I wrote. I actually read about I read the book for like 10 pages and I I remember I get kind of like caught up in something but I just remember this book that you mentioned and I think it's very interesting that you're saying like what is centric to like feeling happy or like the science of happiness it's not just about like the wealth and like whatever like things that you can basically put on a scale, but it's all about this kind of environment kind of building, like different agents, different mediums, like lights, shadows, sound, And also I think sound is like thoroughly studied as a disciplines in Scandinavian country in particular, because they don't get that much light. So they want to like create a definitely more hook, for example. Lighting in their interior. So I think memory is this one that you mentioned, like kind of. I think what you said is like a really good point for me to think about it. And I, I think I, I saw this artist piece by Sterling Ruby in, at ICA Boston recently. He basically built out of scale candles but wrapped them around with like. American flags so that gives it a different texture and like how do you like design design wise how do you think about those kind of thing it's also really interesting
0: I yeah guess. yeah do you um Wu you said I think that you plan on going back to Guangzhou or to China at least yeah and is that is that an absolute at this point
1: no I I don't know I think I might stay here for a bit I might just just hang around just I don't know <laughs> in my neighborhood for a little bit longer hope,
0: hope that nobody notices that you graduated five years ago
1: <laughs> yeah that's 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 kind of the spirit I don't know I think I'm definitely attracted to like finding because a lot of my friends and not really study architecture for their education but we have similar interests but here I think there's just a lot of like-minded people that I feel like I can really talk um, the thing that I'm passionate about which is architecture with so also I just I've had so many like great conversations with like professors here I kind of just want to stay I don't know kind of see if I can get a job at a school maybe to just like enjoy this kind of like small academic bubble yeah i i think i might ta next semester Mm, i
0: don't know mm. would you would you consider being a ta
1: yeah so you can do
0: that while you're still a student yeah
1: it's it's also give you some financial support i guess
0: i mean that's great too but i beyond that i think it's just bloody cool students students in their master's level should should definitely be allowed to yeah um you know basically just help out teachers of, of maybe the younger programs or whatever <laughs> no they definitely should um i actually asked Aarhus if i could do the same this year and they said no nah. why uh, well they don't have do they
1: not have the money
0: uh i guess they just haven't allocated the the necessity for it if they wanted to create the positions because they knew that students wanted to do it i know they could uh i don't think finance would be an issue but because they're used to quite a well-off um well-supported financially uh student um and i guess because they're such a small school uh that's you know essentially essentially state-run uh, they just haven't you know They haven't had to be that entrepreneurial about using students yet. Um, But it's something I'd love to do. Do you think think teaching is a direction you'll pursue? I
1: don't know. I also just feel like I definitely have anxiety of public talking. So I don't really know (laughs) if I can. I don't know. But yeah, I think there's something that's pursuable. And I might enjoy doing it. I don't know. Let's see.
0: Are you... Are you involved, do you have time to be involved in any other outlets at the moment while you're at architecture school? Are you pursuing projects with your friends on, you know, architectural or non-architectural things?
1: Not at the moment, but I guess there, yeah, there's some friends who we share, like, interests in doing some things, but, like, just, like, kind of, like, hobby things, but not, like, professionally. I don't have other engagements beyond like appointments at schools. I'm actually I'm actually like this summer I get like a part-time gig but also like something that I really care about which is writing profiles for this um MIT resource for BIPOC architects and designers I don't I don't even seen it because specific movements have been just like really um on the table around table for the past month in America. And a lot of people have been like calling for a more equitable, equitable, like disciplines, Mm -hmm. architecture. So like MIT really taking this interest in like building and database and profiles and pools of like resources for the curriculum to like have this BIPOC um, designer projects.
0: BIPOC. Being what
1: uh, black indigenous people of color
0: okay interesting are you you said you get a lot of pleasure out of writing have you considered you know contributing to um, either student publications or internet publications of any kind
1: i yeah i i was um, i don't know if you know there's this um peer review journal MIT Cough Threshold. It's it's cool. a great one. Um the recent one is Karkin. I definitely enjoy reading it. So I definitely have been wanting to be an editor, if not a contributor to it. Otherwise, I also like I'm really fascinating for like also um doing some writing work so like some other peer review or like weekly journal, like Paprika at Yale. I don't even know about it or Or like other kind of like student publication. I think it's kind of like important for like the student to tell the world what they are thinking right now. And I think it's important for their work and their writing to be, their voices to be heard.
0: What kind, how do you think that voice has to be formulated? Do you think it needs to be written in academic terms or is it more of a, a rebellious kind of cry for recognition you know in by way of march or or something of of that kind or is there another way i mean is is a podcast achieving that in some shape or form
1: yeah i think podcast definitely works because i think if in like i don't know institution cannot represent you properly like student voices there's definitely a lot of outlets where you can go to to like just keep just keep voicing yourself. Like use you said podcast. I mean writing is definitely one of you know mm. the ways to go to the academy. But I also feel like videos or like I don't know even being an in, uh, Instagrammer or TikToker. I don't know. Like yeah, I think you can definitely find your way around it to like let people know what you're thinking critically or just like some funny jokes you're thinking on your mind i think it just we need to get more voices heard and we need to let the world know like this is how we're gonna change it yeah when yeah 10 years like we have resources
0: do you think okay so i think from that you're kind of implying that the the sharing of the voices is important for the listeners the listeners whoever that may be they can they can you know um they can open up their kind of understanding of a subject or of um, concerns for certain topics through hearing a multitude of voices, right? But yeah. I think you're also saying that um, it's important for the person uh, speaking in that by expressing themselves, they feel heard and they may feel even more connected to other people. They may sort of have to formulate subjects for themselves by, by expressing them. Do you think there's a sort of remedial quality to sharing the voice as, as well as just passing on information?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely kind of therapeutical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To kind of like have resonant, resonating experiences, to just like tell the stories or like, it's kind of satisfying to know people.
0: I'm hearing, I'm hearing what I want to hear in a way, um, and I suppose my only question is are people around you are people you know um, are they all wanting to share their voices you know it's one thing to say let's hear the voices of the people or in this case let's 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 you know give give a voice to or a platform for students to voice what what it is they're thinking or what, what it is they care about but I've noticed you know not everybody, not everybody is a campaigner. Not everybody is, um, is going to march down the street for something they believe in. A lot of people are quiet believers or maybe they're believers that are still figuring out exactly how they feel about that thought. Um, So are the people around you pretty active in the expression?
1: Yeah, I I believe so. Um, I think this kind of, topic is kind of always on our lips, shared between just like my common friends. And I think there's a lot of people who's like, either the creative outlet is making videos or like making websites or writing about their experiences or like giving lights to other experiences. I think people are definitely more I want to say quote unquote vocal in different mediums and they have different outlets of like just let that voice be heard i think i i could definitely imagine there would be other people who want to for example do the podcast with you and like talk about their experience or their interests too
0: yeah awesome um i'm hoping that i can um hone in on some themes as this goes on and that I can I can bring people who I've spoken to like yourself back in um, to, to conversation, to discuss things in particular. But so on that note, if you have any thoughts, if you have topics, themes you think that I should be looking at, and if you wanna get involved um, with uh, choosing guests or, you know, critiquing um, comments made by other people. I'd, I'd you know, uh, you're always welcome. And I would really appreciate any, um, any of that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can do it during school. I think that's one thing, because I think uh, when I was in school, especially at MIT, it's just kind of intense that I hardly can have like a personal life. I know if I have like energy to like process human interactions what what do you listen to when you're at school you mean podcast wise
0: yeah no i I was curious first of all if you know i guess uh, as architecture students we spend a lot of time at screens we we spend a lot of time monotonously clicking away or uh building stuff with our hands, and there is that time I think to absorb. In my case, just a lot of really tacky techno music, <laughs> but in some people's case, podcasts are other um, other kind of uh, you know the solution or what the 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 choice there. Yeah, um, and I'm just yeah. wondering, yeah, if you li- if you do listen to podcasts, um, what what kind are they? Wh- what subject matter?
1: Um, I mean, I picked on this podcast, and I really enjoyed it, called "On the Media." I think it's a weekly podcast. It's about um, basically highlighting, like, the Black experience or other topics that the country's going through, like, in terms of democracy, mm, mm. a demanding democracy now. I think that's the podcast that I listen to. I want to, like, kind of just know more about the topic and just learn more about it. Otherwise, I would, like, listen to, like, Electronic music, a pop music. When I was doing my studio work. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate.
0: Uh, you know, just getting to hear what you've been up to, and uh, I'm happy that MIT is working out so well for you. Thank you. Um, it sounds like you know you've been a student for a long time now, even longer than myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know. I, I
1: can't wait to graduate. I, I don't I only... blame you.
0: Well, I hope you come back to Europe sometime soon, or if not, that we get to cross paths. Yeah.
1: I will, we will talk soon. Take it. Take care.